and we are live. Um, this is episode two of uh, Addicts in Recovery. It's good to be back. Great to be back. And we, last week, we're going to do a, a recap. Last week, we went over... We kind of started with our intros of kind of who we are, uh, and then we kind of jumped into what addiction is, and we kind of dove into that, and hopefully this week it makes a little bit more sense that kind of ties together and we're going to be kind of focusing on uh enabling and denial and kind of what it means i'm sure we're, i think you and me are kind of experts at this uh, <laughs> at least i am with denial oh yeah denial's great <laughs> so um, yeah let's jump into it man how, you, cool. how have you been i've been good man I, i've had a, a busy week but it's been a, it's been all right week how about yeah. you good busy yeah. travel yeah. yeah i was central nevada for the week and now i'm Oh, so how is that, man? How is it traveling around so much? It, you know, I, I get a lot of time to, like, think. You know, it's it's kind of nice. Sometimes you lose reception so nobody can actually even get a hold of you. So you feel like the aliens are hovering over you, you know, <laughs> trying to talk to you. Especially in, like, Area 51. Yeah, yeah. So I'm, I was down there in that area uh, checking on some job sites. And um, I don't know. I really like kind of the alone time. I can kind of meditate, you know, and really kind of learn some of the tactics that I've learned and kind of apply them and slow down you know i a lot of times i'd be driving out there to have kind of a, a hurry mentality like i gotta get home and i would just like or have to get someplace it, it just always felt rushed and i hated that feeling so it's nice to kind of like when i that does happen to me i can recognize it and be like dude why are you driving 105 right now <laughs> you know there's no reason for that let's just slow down and enjoy and like notice something outside that you wouldn't have picked you know and focus on it just enjoy so it's not hard to um because that's what i used to do when i was working so i travel all the time it's not hard to to like be spending nights in hotel rooms or especially with coworkers who do drink like yeah i mean for the for a while I mean, it's it's a little bit different where in my position you know i'm more like in a management position so I'm, i don't fortunately not have to travel that often but when i do uh sometimes like you'd be in a town like in reno or you know vegas or something and it's like you're with architects and whatever and they kind of let's go to dinner and then after dinner it just kind of like leads on to other places and you know and definitely heavily drinking a lot and it's like <laughs> dang you know I didn't think the, <laughs> a lot of people are really that into it but it's clearly a, a common <laughs> thing <laughs> how uh how do you cope with it like what do you what do you do now yeah as far as I, I mean when an architect says hey let's go out to dinner what do you um you know it hasn't really happened that often to me yeah because when I got out of when I got out of rehab I really focused uh, I kind of touched bases last week about this I would let everybody know you know let my parents know my family know my close friends know anybody in my inner circle I wanted them to know me of where I stood in this you know on the ground and it really helped out but with architects and stuff it really hasn't had an issue yet I had a uh superintendent that bought me a 12 pack of my favorite beer like a couple weeks out of rehab I, he's like hey i haven't seen you for a while and he's like i got you a present i like looked at it and i was like oh my gosh thank you and like i was like but i don't want to tell him that like yeah i'm your boss and i just went to rehab you know so yeah i didn't want to jump into that it just would be awkward it's yeah just that not, would be it's bizarre. not really like a good place to just do it so i was like thank you and then i just went to the nearest gas station and went to fill up um you know 
gas on the way home. I just threw it away. There you go. <laughs> I would have at least like given it to a homeless guy or I, something. I'm sure one. I'm sure a homeless guy found it. <laughs> it didn't. I'm sure it did not go unwasted. But. <laughs> so uh, you went unwasted, so that's good. I know. That's yeah, <laughs> yeah. Didn't do anything illegal. Good man. <laughs> um, yeah, a lot of people. A lot of people, especially um, in the construction field, like that's, that's drinking and drug use are heavy oh yeah it's insane i mean i i I would drink and use with uh, i would say probably eight out of ten people that i work with yeah it was was nuts man and so when you're away from home though what else do you do yeah well no kidding it's like either you go to bed early or you go grab some dinner and then uh but before i lose my train of thought the craziest thing about this whole that type of construction worker is how early they can wake up in the morning and still function. I know. Isn't it weird? I I had to have drugs to wake up in the morning to function. That was the only way. I would drink all night and then I'd wake up and get high and that's how I was able to make it through the day. (laughs) Just push it. Yeah. (laughs) That was... Klonopin worked for a little while for me. I would chew (laughs) chew them up and try to make myself feel a little better but it eventually faded away too. Yeah. Oh, it it doesn't last very long. No. No. Eventually you always look for the loophole. Right. And <laughs> you're like, if I do this, I do, I get this. And that's, yeah. So it's, it's, it's definitely changed though, being around some of my uh, coworkers and, uh, and professional people, I kind of changed my way of thought and, and where I'm going or I, I'm a little more cautious in that way. So I don't know. Hey, if it's working, it's working, man. A lot of people, like I said, a lot of people have a really hard time, uh, hard time with that, especially travel. I mean, I went to, I went to Mexico, I was maybe a couple months out of rehab and, uh, I was terrified. And then I, I show up to the hotel and they have free tequila everywhere. (laughs) And so it really takes a lot of self-control and a lot of people, uh, will go out on trips like that. You know? Well, I had, I had like a little bit of so I did 30 days inpatient and then I did, uh, you know, IOP after that. And right after IOP, I graduated from that. And three days later I was in Cabo San Lucas. Yeah. And it's like, and <laughs> that, right that, was, that, that was literally the first place <laughs> I drank, you know, in my life. It was, it was with my older brother <clears throat> on a family vacation when I was in high school. And it was just weird to be back. Like he's the same thing. You go into the airport and there's just like bars everywhere. And it's not just like classy bars that you see at, you know, in New York or Boston airport or something like that. But Cabo, it's like, they're walking around like ready to give it to you, you know? Oh yeah. And my wife like pulled me aside. She's like, is this triggering at all to you? And I'm just like, it's not triggering. It's just annoying. You know, (laughs) I'm annoyed with myself and I know that I lost my like responsibility as an adult to like handle that, you know? Oh yeah. It's like, it's too bad. You know, you couldn't have been an adult about your drinking and (laughs) just do it normally. Like, I don't even know how you classify normal. You never yeah. really know what people, but it was uh, it was weird. And even my older sister that lives in New York, she was down there with us too. And she asked me a few times, and she's like, "Is it weird seeing it just everywhere?" And you know, I was just like, "Ah, oh, it's it's definitely weird. It's it's everywhere." And you know, so it's just nice to be able to. I gotta I gotta stop saying you know. I, I need to stop. That. <laughs> it's a bad habit. Don't get too caught up in it, man. I know. We have another hour of this, so. <laughs> <laughs> um right on so the topic the topic what do we, what do we want to start with we want to start with enabling we want to start with denial Ooh. i don't doesn't matter i think 
I think any whatever let's direction. Go with, denial. Let's denial. go with enabling. Denial. <laughs> <laughs> let's go with denial. All right. Um, I don't have a problem, right? What uh, when you were when you were drinking and using and doing doing your thing? What did I guess? What did what? How how severe of the of denial did you have? Like, to what level of denial did you have? I was pretty I was pretty strong, but I I would kind of I was a very good hidden closet alcoholic, and usually I would see other people kind of fold before me, you know, and I would kind of like step in to help them, and you know I'd be like watching them get super drunk or whatever, and, and I would I would be it would help my denial out that I I wasn't that bad, you know, I would just. I'd be like, man, I'm I'm pretty feeling it right now, but my buddy over here, he's about ready to <laughs> collapse. So I always was, was kind of like in the in the crowd in that way. So and that kind of helped me with my level of denial that I was like, I'm 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 okay. Mm-hmm. You know, people are worse off than me. Uh, I would I would definitely would do that. But then seeing on going like on a vacation with friends and whatever, and seeing them recover and bounce back or or seeing architects or whatever, people bouncing back and being totally fine. And the next day, like my face probably looked like shit, you know, just paranoid and just like <laughs> felt like my heart was going to just blow up. And Oh yeah. So, and I would like watch them to see if they had the same reactions that I did and they didn't. I was just like, this is not, this is not okay. But I, I still was in heavy denial of it. Yeah. You know, even after, even after I, went to a psych ward for a weekend. I came out and my denial was still like just ready to go, just heated up. Still don't have an issue. I can do this. I remember I drank the first time I woke up without a hangover and I was like, okay, I can be an adult about this. I can do this. And like a week later it was like 30 <laughs> a day again. You know? <laughs> and uh, it just, it took a few friends to actually call me out on my show and shit. And was like, Hey, I thought you said you stopped drinking. And <laughs> I did. I did. And they're like, you know, we're lighting fireworks off in July. It was like right around July 4th. And my friends were like, hey, you know, I can smell it on you. And I thought you said you stopped. I was like, whatever. (laughs) You're crazy. Yeah, but my denial was so strong, though. And my wife even, like I would, because it was one of her friends, uh, one of our close friends, that she was the one who really kind of called the bluff to me. And I was like telling my wife, I was getting all mad. I was like, I can't believe she's saying that to you. You know, I'm your husband. You listen to me. <laughs> Don't listen to your friend. And I was like, that heavy of denial. It's just sickening. Did you get to the point where uh, she was the bad guy? Oh yeah. And and almost like I'm innocent in this situation. Yeah. Because the den- denial is so heavy. Although she was right. Yeah. A hundred percent right. But I I do that. I used to do that all the time. Oh, I I was <laughs> professional at it too. I was like, you know, there's a lot of shit that's not right in my life right now. Alcohol definitely is not the problem. <laughs> it's the wife, you know, or the kids yeah. or, or work or there's always something behind it. But it's uh, the, the crazy thing is I really started to see myself lose a lot of my people in my close circle. I had some really close friends I said some really rude stuff to at a mm. Super Bowl party. I called them out and, you know, and I was in complete denial over it. And, and uh, it was pretty messed up. I mean, you really can lose a lot of people because of it. <laughs> family, friends. Oh yeah. Well, they all see they all see what we can't. I mean, yeah. we when especially when we're drinking and when we're using there's we put these blinders on 
Um, or I don't know if we put the blinders on or if that just kind of comes with the addiction as a whole. We have this blind, these blinders on that everything is all right. I mean, when I was, when I was using, it was always, at least I'm not that guy. Yeah. I, I would drive, I would drive through, you know, the middle of the city and there would be homeless people all over the place. And I'd be like, well, <laughs> I'm not that guy over yeah. there talking to a tree right now. So I'm, I'm doing well. Like, <laughs> You know, I have a car, I have a house, I have all of, I, I have a job, I have all these people that are in my life. They're not happy that they're in my life. Right. And I'm not happy, nine out of ten times I'm not happy with them in my life, but they're people in my life. Um, so I, I really, I would use that as reasoning. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd always use that as, re- as reasoning. I always paid my bills on time. I was one of those addicts. <laughs> I don't know how I did. <laughs> Something instilled in me with my, for my old man. Um, and so my bills were paid always, I don't, whether it was stolen money or whether, whatever <laughs> it was. And so I, I would use this as, um, that was like my main basis uh, of denial. I don't have a problem because people who have problems are people who can't maintain. Yeah. Like a ca- car impounded or. Yeah, you know, exactly. Or... Yeah, or and they're homeless, or they're living on somebody's mm-hmm. couch, which I guess is homeless. Or um, yeah, they're not. They can't keep a job. I mean, I had so many friends that couldn't keep a job. So for you though, like, when did the curtain come up? You know, where you were like, I can feel this denial just boiling inside of me. Like, <laughs> I've. When did you start like you know the curtain slowly rising to? When was that? I how really... was that? So if um, whoever it, whoever's listening, if you listened last week, I talked about um, I talked about how I thought I was an, I knew I was an addict from like high school. I mm-hmm. talked about I I would I, I would say um, all the time that I was an addict, and, and jokingly. Yeah. Um, but there was there was this like you know voice in the back of my head that that knew I was an addict, <laughs> and I mean I subconsciously knew I was an addict before I ever actually knew I was an addict. But the if the degree of addiction is where I had a really hard time with because I I would watch people go to church every Sunday mm-hmm. you know religiously <laughs> and they I, I I would see that as an addiction um, I would take that and go okay this person is going out of their way to spend and then you know the society that you and I live in, it's three hours every Sunday. These people go out of their way no, to get this fixed. Now. It's oh yeah, it's, it's two hours now. That's right, huh? <laughs> um, you're supposed to spend the other hour with your family. Right. <laughs> and so I would I would take I would take all of these behaviors that people had. I you know, my mom would drink Diet Pepsi all the time. So that's an addiction, right? She drinks it every day. Um, and so it was really hard for me to grasp that my drug use was anything more than other people's habits. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you get to like the fundamental basics of it, especially of addiction, it's not it's not different. So and that's what we, also what we talked about last week is that there is no difference between alcoholism and addiction or because um, it's all really the same mental thought process. But my mom, drinking her diet pepsi if she goes without a diet pepsi she's not going to go rob a fucking pharmacy for it <laughs> like, <laughs> and that's something that i would do if i ran out of my drugs because the, and, and so it really took a lot of beating down and kind of this huge you know come to jesus moment mm-hmm. 
um, for me to realize that, okay, obviously there's something wrong because my parents are now livid with me. I am, um, I destroyed Christmas for the family. <laughs> my dad fired me after, and I've done some really stupid shit when I was working with my dad. And I got to the point where he finally fired me. He was like, like, Zach, we got or, yeah, this is it. You're done. <laughs> um, that I finally, I was like, okay, I guess. And it wasn't even, I still didn't even think that I had a problem. Mm -hmm. Um, it was extenuating factors that pushed me into it. And it wasn't until I got into a treatment facility and I got around people, um, a lot of people, a lot of addicts, a lot of alcoholics that, that had the same behaviors that I did that I thought, okay, obviously I'm not the only person that has these, these problems. And if there's somebody who has 10 years, that's telling me a story that I've done exactly that, well, obviously like there's, you know, there's a similarity and what is that similarity? I must have some type of addiction issue. And so that's kind of where, where my denial started to lift. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, it was, it was right around, it was right around that time. Yeah. I, it's so hard to finally like recognize it. Cause I remember, I remember my wife, she talked to me, it was like right around New Year's and we went to this party with a bunch of friends and I just got, I got so drunk that we were playing a game and it came to the point in the game that it was my turn and I completely forgot how to play the game completely like I was just like looking at everybody just like ghosted out and like my wife was looking at me like is what's going on and, and then I think everybody like how they were looking at me it they, they all just looked at me like they knew you know like this is not good and I was like so how do we play this again but it was right after that my wife and I we were like went on a, a date night and she was talking to me and she's like you know I really don't know about this drinking thing like you're not you're starting you're not very good at this anymore you know and I, I was sitting there in the car with her, but I just told her how hard it was to just go back and say, I can't go with those friends and not drink. Like that, that process was too hard for me. Like I was in so much denial of that, of like, how do you go back at that point now that you've gotten so heavy with the people that you're around close friends? I mean, obviously if you get into the real deep nitty gritty where you got to like push the friends, push family away completely because they're just not going to help you. But these were still people that were like good people. I didn't have an issue with, you know, them doing some crazy stuff, but it was, it was the point of just you doing that socially. Like, how do I not go with them and like have a glass of champagne or, uh, you know, split a bottle of wine. And I just was in so, so much denial of explaining that to my wife that, do you know how hard it is? Like imagine going to like a party now with, and going to like a Halloween party or a gig or like a, Bab, like a not a baptism. I don't know why I said that. Like, <laughs> it's because he brought up religion. Getting, <laughs> getting tipsy. <laughs> yeah. Getting tipsy. Let's smash him out of the parking uh, lot. I probably would have, honestly. <laughs> <clears throat> but it, it to me that that was I was in a lot of denial of that 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 type of process where I could not go back and undo that or be with them and saying, hey, surprise everybody. Like I I just am not going to drink anymore just that statement alone would be really hard for me until I went to rehab and did everything I did. But it just really showed me how strong uh, denial really can, how how much it held me. Mm -hmm. You know, I just couldn't release that and go back and and do that. So I don't know. So there are, uh, I looked up, I kind of, I, I, I was kind of curious on how to, 
I guess, address like personal denial. Mm-hmm. And so I looked up a couple of uh, I looked up a couple of kind of I might be in denial if dot dot dot. And there was a few really good ones. Um, one of the ones that I used to use all the time um, is consistently falling back on "It's my life." Yeah. I, I used to do that all the time. I used to tell some. I used to tell um, people that all the time. Well, I'm not sure why you're freaking out because the, even if I was hurting my or hurting anyone, it's only it myself. doesn't affect you. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't affect this, you. <laughs> this and, is my life. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I would say that all the time. Mm-hmm. I'd be like, well, I mean, I can have a beer tonight. You know, I can have this six pack. I can get high today because I'm, <laughs> is it gonna hurt, right? Yeah. Other than me. Well, believe me, like. I have done I have done enough drugs in my life that having a six pack one night isn't gonna if that Surprise. if that's the death that yeah. kills that gets to me then I mean I guess I, I had a better chance of getting struck by lightning yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> and so I would use that and then I would also I would go to you know I would I would go to these family functions just fucked up mm-hmm. and so bad and I would my I would get called out on it and there would be this family you know, turmoil that's going on, you know, Zach can't stay sober, la da 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 whatever it may be. And I would, I would consistently just say, well, I don't know why you care because it's my life. Right? Yeah. It's, it's, it's did, my like, life. Did anybody ever call you out and be like, Zach, you are like super selfish for doing this? Yeah. See, like no, you, no one would ever actually would. would. No, really? nobody actually ever. Um, I, I didn't, I really didn't get faced with the, with any healthy deterrent <laughs> methods. Okay. Like, I always, I was faced with, I mean, one time my sister, <laughs> one time, one time my sister thought that she found drugs, but it was a bag of Epsom salt. And so oh. she <laughs> took a picture of it and sent it to my mom and thought I was like working with a cartel. And, uh, that, it, it, and so there's things like that where it, it was a lot of behind the back stuff. It wasn't really healthy of like, you're being selfish with this. Yeah, it was like just, more like tattletelling. Yeah, it was a lot of tattletelling. Um, but I would use that all the time. I would, I would use, it's. It's my life. Yeah. yeah. And, and I'm obviously not doing that much damage because it's only to myself. And if I have everything, what looks to be in order, mm-hmm. then what's the problem? I don't right. see any problem. See, for me, like I wrote down, because I even just, I was like asking myself, I'm like, okay, Michael, what is denial to you? And for me, I, it's simple. It's, I use it as a defense mechanism, mm. completely as a defense mechanism and just deter it a- around, you know, to... Like I said, I was hiding in the crowd from other people in front of me, you know, and my older brother was like that where typically in our family, uh, he would, I was probably more drunk than him or doing worse things than he was, but he would, he's very readable uh, knowing when he was doing that. And I was very much like kind of hidden. I would kind of sneak into, it's kind of, you know, the Homer Simpson, how he (laughs) sneaks in the bushes, you know, like backwards. (laughs) There's like that picture out there that shows them where she's asking to do something and that was me so like I just for sure used it as a defense mechanism even like I was telling you earlier with my wife you know I don't want you doing this anymore and I would just be like do you know how impossible this is to hang out with friends now and and it's just I don't know really weird <laughs> um another one that I really liked was um or when I pulled this up that I forgot that I used to do was I well I didn't really forget Blaming others for uh-huh. the problems. I remember so many days where I would sit and I would tell tell myself, well, if my old man wasn't such, you know, an ass-kicking, whip-cracking, 
hard working son of a bitch that that forces it upon me then i wouldn't have to i wouldn't have to use meth to stay up all night because <laughs> i wouldn't have to yeah. you know i wouldn't have to be this level of perfection um because that's initially why i started and and or for instance i wouldn't if my coworkers weren't such assholes i wouldn't have to drink because i would be able to tolerate them while i was sober right um, I would blame everything on everyone else and that that really rooted to what I thought was my using or mm-hmm. what I thought was the cause of my using was all these other people. Um, I, I still say this all the time. The world picked me out to shit on <laughs> is really what it, what I thought it was. And in reality, I was creating all of my own problems. You know, there's that song, I got 99 problems and a bitch ain't one. Right. I got 99 problems <laughs> and I am everyone. That is that is how how it works. And it took me so long to get through that phase of my life um, of recognizing that when I get these problems and I have all these problems, maybe I should stop sticking a needle in my arm. Right. That might help the situation. It could. It could. <laughs> you know, if, if my if my relationships are going into the into the toilet, maybe I should stop chugging out of the bottle. I should put the bottle down. So, so I, I have a good function. question for you. So now that you've had some time under your belt, um, how do you recognize unhealthy denial patterns in your life now that you're like you it kind of puts up a stop sign and you're like, whoa, Zach, this is I'm either going left or right right now. Ooh, that's a really that a, good question. I know it was. Uh, that's <laughs> and, I, and, I and I didn't write that one down. That one just came. To that just, my, just, yeah, popped just, in. just popped in. Just my head. The first, so the first thing that I do, especially if I'm, um, if it's a, if it's like a big decision mm-hmm. or if it's something that is pressing, I'll run it by someone. I I, I consistently run it by someone. For for the first probably two years of my recovery, I wouldn't make any decisions without running it by somebody, mm-hmm. because the the saying "my best thinking got me here" kept running through my head over and over again, and so one of the ways that um, that I get that I can get past so say if I am thinking of something really stupid but it's in my head and I'm gonna act on it, um, one of the ways that I can get past the denial is bringing it up to someone or bringing it up to several people and having an, and being open enough to to listen. And actually take in what these other people are saying. And not being afraid of, like, their reaction of it. Yeah, like, yeah, exactly. Like, negative or positive with it. Exactly. Uh, there's, there's something that I tell people all the time, especially when I'm at work, is there is a difference between asking for help and then actually listening to the help that is being given. Mm-hmm. There's so many people that go, help me, help me, help me. And then I say, okay, this is what you've got to do. So that you can feel better. Um, it's just specifically in regards to early recovery. Mm-hmm. Take these steps, you'll feel better. Yeah, but that's not going to work for me. Right. And once they throw out the but, the word but, the mind is shut off. They're not listening. The only reason that they're asking for help is for attention. Mm-hmm. And so I have to, I have to keep in, keep in mind that when I'm reaching out and I and I have these these um, ideas in my head that I may be wrong on I have to have an open mind to say okay I could potentially be wrong on this and I need to do something that I might not initially want to do uh, one of the things was I've been looking into just one of these things recently is I've been looking into buying a new camera lens mm-hmm. 
And this camera lens is like a $1,000 camera lens. I don't need a goddamn $1,000 <laughs> camera lens. I don't. But I was fixated on it. I wanted this camera yeah. lens so bad. And I was talking to somebody about it, and they, and they said, are you sure you really need that camera lens? Yes, I need that no, camera I lens. Need I need it now. It now. <laughs> Do you, know what kind of, do you know what kind of landscape shots like <laughs> this lens will take? And, and they stopped and they looked at me and said, really, do you really need it? And that's when, no, I don't need the camera lens. I want the camera lens, yeah. <laughs> but I don't need a camera lens. And so using people is probably my biggest, my, my biggest com- combative measure against denial and against things that I can't see myself. I gotcha. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I'm fortunate that I can have kind of, my, like I said last week with my memory, that I, I really kind of like to play the movie out in my head. You know, if I go one way or the other, I, I can try to see glimpses of, of where they're going to take me. I know where they're going to take me. And, and I've been happy with myself of, of kind of putting the brakes on, of, of saying, okay, don't put yourself in that denial position anymore. Like, you know where it's going to lead you. It's going to lead you to guilt and shame and lying and deceiving. And, and it's just the small stuff. Like, I remember we were skiing up at a ski resort. And I was in a gondola with a bunch of buddies. And, like, a lot of them were, like, there were some random people there from New York or something. And they were talking in the gondola. You know, oh, you guys are so lucky you live here in the great snow. And I was like, yeah, it beats work today. And, and... One of my friends was like, yeah, I, I, I didn't even tell my wife I was coming up here because she'd be mad that I was up coming up here. And and I was like, yeah, we should come up here tomorrow because it was supposed to dump again, you know, some more snow. And my friend is like, well, let's just come up again. And I was like, ah, I don't know. I got work. And and he's like, well, you should. Uh, I was like, my wife would, would probably be kind of upset that I came up here two times in a row. She's like, maybe you should stick around and help out with the kids, you know, if you're going to take the day off of work. And my friend just says, well, just don't tell her. <laughs> you know well don't tell her don't tell her you're going skiing just put your just put your stuff you know your shit in the car and go skiing and don't ever tell her and I was like thinking about that and I just vocally looked at him and I said no <laughs> I'm like that's where it starts and he's like what do you mean I'm like you don't get it that is addict personality behavior I am not doing that I'm not going down the road as small as that sounds I'm just like fuck you guys you know <laughs> jump fling open the gondola and jump, jump out. out 30 foot drop <laughs> but it, it it took it takes like those small things now that i can like wow you know something as stupid as that but if i'm being honest with that part of it it creates my whole you know denial guilt shame all of those negative attributes to kind of fade away it so, kind of keeps them at bay yeah right? yeah don't engage in one and then it won't we, yeah, it'll help kind of spider web over to the other yeah. ones and and just kind of being aware of that. So that's that's really been helping me out quite a bit. And I'm, it's new to me. It's really new to mm. me because I could, in the construction industry, I mean, it's always filled with lies. Hey, where's that? When that rebar? When is it going to be here? Oh, are you sure it's not there on the job site? <laughs> yeah, you know, go look behind the job trailer. <laughs> nope, it's not here. And then you're like scrambling, like looking on your emails, and it, there's just always a lot of uh, fluff in that way. Mm-hmm. And even with work stuff, I've been um, way more honest. I work with my older brother and my dad, and being honest with them, a lot of times it'd be like I'm going to lunch, and I really would be going to the bar and eating lunch. I would be having lunch, but I'd be 
gone for a while and then I would use it as an excuse. Like I've earned this, like you work your ass off, like, and it always turns in these rewards and that, and that turned into just stupid <laughs> stuff too. You know, anytime you ever say that you've earned something, I think you need to really like slow down and think, did you, what is it? And where, where are you going? Stop. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this might not be very good. <laughs> it's a really good point. Um, yeah. So as far as denial goes, we're kind of, we're going to kind of wrap it up because we got to get into enabling now. Okay. Um, I'd have to say that it, if I, th- I mean, for me, the, the biggest problem with denial was I wouldn't listen to other people telling me what was going on. And what about yourself though? As, well, I, <laughs> I wasn't <laughs> you aware of it. I didn't think there was a problem. <laughs> But so I would have, I mean, I'd have my parents tell me you need to, something's wrong. I'd have my family members tell me something's wrong. I'd have my coworkers tell me something's wrong. I mean, so many people tell me something's wrong. And I would, and I had so much conviction into there's nothing wrong because I was so set in my ways and I wanted to continue using. I Mm -hmm. did. Um, and so really when it came down to, to breaking that denial, it, it had to be having the humility to, to listen to these other people and be, and say, there must be something wrong. I've had so many, I've had like a therapist tell me one time, I can't remember what it was, honestly, it was just, they, they, they told me something and I said, that's bullshit. <laughs> and they were like, what do you mean that's bullshit? And I said, that is bullshit. What you just told me is bullshit. And, and this therapist looked at me and, and said, I have a master's degree <laughs> in, th- or, or in social work. And, and then she starts talking about all these other degrees and all these other certifications that she has. You really calling me on bullshit on this. And any normal person would have said, oh, wow, that was dumb. I, don't believe, I can't believe I just called this person on, their, on, the, uh, on that. And I stuck to my fucking guns. You're like, that's bullshit. (laughs) She's like, we're done. So yeah, because it was so, it was so arrogant. And so, um, but when it comes down to denial, I really just have to, for me, and and I've seen this for other people too, is, is listening. Yeah. Listening. Well, and on, on that, I think like if anybody is, you know, struggling with that or wanting to be like, Hey, well, how do I recognize this in my spouse or, children even or friends or family or you're trying to help or even with your with yourself i think looking for those areas in your life that's not going well you know simple things as stress stuff that's like kind of has an emotional conflict as well uh anxiety uh painful thoughts and even threatening information i think anytime you have those items where you're recognizing yourself, you're, you can see that in other people and you're lending a hand or just asking them, not calling them on it, <clears throat> but just kind of asking them to kind of give them an inventory of themselves. You know, how are you doing? I've noticed that you've been, you know, I can say, for example, this is a coworker. I noticed that you've been like really stressed out the last couple of days. Is everything all right? And I feel like in our society, we're so, and this kind of turns into enabling a little bit, but I feel like in, in our society, we're so kind of afraid to do that. You know, you mm-hmm. see somebody crying or you see somebody that's upset or it's kind of awkward for a lot of people to kind of just be like, hey, come sit on my lap. Yeah. Like, let's, <laughs> let's have a little chat, you know? Oh, yeah. I, I feel feel like it's a, it's kind of a hard thing or for a man doing that to like another man, it could be down looked on of weakness oh yeah absolutely and having that weakness of like i can't do this or like as a as a wife 
raising children of comparing themselves to other people around them even to thinking man like this person looks so put together all the time and how do they do it they have these children there and they're excelling and i feel feel like in our society it's so hard for us to just be like stop take a break you know take a minute everything's okay you know and and let's just really reflect on that and and reaching your hand out like what you're saying is listening a lot of people just love just to tell everyone what to do. Oh, yeah. Hey, you don't look like you're doing very well. I got the recipe for you, buddy. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> and I think people, people a lot of times struggle with that listening aspect of it. And I am. I've been really fortunate to kind of learn that with how I was raised. My mom especially was always there to listen, no matter what it was, if it was some crazy party went to in high school and I come back and I wasn't trying to hide it from her. I would just like be honest with her. I was like, this party was crazy or I just kissed a girl for the first time, you know, and just really was open with that. It was nice to have, you know, my mother there and kind of growing that tactic of listening. And so I don't know. I need to, I need to stop saying, I don't know. (laughs) Um, so if you're listening and you're, and you're confused, actually this idea just popped into my head. Um, you're, you're confused kind of about the denial. Maybe I am in denial. Maybe I'm not. I've got 10, 10 steps written down of am I in denial? And what we can do is actually post that on our Instagram. Yeah, good idea. And then, so after we, we post this podcast thing, whatever this thing is called, <laughs> we'll, we'll actually um, throw a notification on Instagram saying that this podcast is up and then we will throw out these, these notes that we have on denial. If you're waiting, talking about the issue, um, denying problems, absolutely. Whatever it may be, we've got all the levels of denial on here. So, um, enabling. Yeah, here we go. Let's, uh, (laughs) let's talk enabling, man. We've got, we've got about 20, 20 minutes, a little over 20 minutes. Um, how, how were you enabled? I, so being married, we're pushing on our 12 years of marriage right now, but wow. Yeah, it's crazy. I can only remember like, Four years of my life total. <laughs> I can't imagine twelve. Yeah, and, well, we, it's it's pretty wild to think that we've been married that long. We're we're coming on that time frame, but so my my experience with enabling. So the last twelve ish years, or not not twelve, but we've married twelve years, but probably the past five six years, uh, I feel like my wife actually has enabled me n- n- unknowingly. Mm. I think and, that's how most people are. Yeah, just like completely, just like why you know. Didn't know exactly what I was doing, but just, you know, I'm, I'm feeling sick today. And she would cover for me and have no really reason, idea what I was actually doing of why I was sick. And uh, <clears throat> I feel, you know, she was probably the biggest person in that way, where I would kind of use her as uh, kind of an enabling tool. Mm. So that's, that's kind of one of my experiences, but I'm sure I'll... I'll spit them out. It's your turn. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, when I was when I was growing up, my parents walked a very fine line on enabling. So there, which there is, there is a really fine line, especially because when I was kind of in high school, if you have a parent that's a dictator, somebody who's consistently monitoring their kid, constantly. Um, constantly breathing down their neck, trying to catch them in, t- trying to catch them in the act of getting in trouble, um, really going out of their way to get their kid. 
it really causes this rift in the parent-child relationship. There's a huge yeah, rift. Yeah, you, because you feel like you're being watched all the time I mean, or like yeah, a prisoner like, in your own home. Exactly. I mean, you're, it, it feels like you're almost under this, you know, communist regime and you you can't get away from anything. And then it, it ruins family parties. It ruins really, I mean, just it, it tears up a lot of years that these parents have with their kids. And so my parents, I was super grateful that my parents didn't do that. I had, I had a best friend who his mom would just wake up like set alarms throughout the night and wake up just to go downstairs and check on him to make sure that he was there. Um, My mom, (laughs) my mom had this, she kind of took it to the next extreme, which was she would wait until I got arrested. Once I was arrested then, or once I was caught by the cops and whatever, then it was addressed. And, or, and and that's how she would kind of go about it. And for a long time, um, it actually did save our relationship. So, like, my mom and I are really, really close. But my mom is also a really, really big enabler. <laughs> because I would call her and say... And I... For when I was wearing instruction, I was making more than my mom did teaching. Teaching. Yeah. And, and she knew that. And for some reason, I never had money. And so I was constantly calling her and saying, Hey, I need money for this. Or, Hey, can you help, help me with rent this month? Or, Hey, like, can you help me? Zach, I, do we need you a budget? Make, you make, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you make more money than I do. Where is it all going? Mm-hmm. Well, I had to pay for this and I had to pay for that. And blah, 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 when really it was I was blowing it all on drugs. Right. Drugs or I, you know, a $400 night at the bar, whatever it may be. And so one of the, I, I really think the biggest, the biggest thing that my mom enabled me on was she would consistently give me money, mm-hmm. um, consistently give me money. And it wasn't, it wasn't like, I'll go buy this for you. So I'll call her and say, Hey, I need groceries. She would just wire me the money, okay. throw, it in, throw, the, throw it in the account. And by the time that I was done with my using, I knew all of my mom's bank account passwords. You could just get in there. Yeah, I could get in there no problem. Yeah. And so it really, the biggest form of enablement that, and I, and I refer to my parents really because I quit using at 22. And so a lot of, I mean, I, I was out of the house for four years, but that four years I was still a child. Right. You know, <laughs> and so I was still under parent Guidance. watch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I couldn't function as a human being by mm-hmm. myself. Um, and so the biggest, yeah, the biggest one that they did was, was consistently give me money. Mm-hmm. And that was, that, that really had a huge effect on me because that helped, helped keep me going for a longer period of yeah. time. See, I had a, some like really close friends that I grew up with and, uh, even some of my, uh, in-laws on that side of the family too, that struggled with addiction and enabling of, of just my in-laws are very much out of sight, out of mind. You know, my brother-in-laws had some addiction issues and it's very easy for them just to give and get out. You know, I don't want you around. Here you go. And it was just kind of the cycle of kind of an, of enabling and, uh, which is obviously not healthy because the addict still gets what he wants and, and so goes life and, and till the next time, till the next month and so on. But I feel like it's so hard to like stop that, train once you get it going Mm. once you start to enable i feel like you become more rooted into it and it's harder to break off i mean if you enabled a child for four years uh feeding their like heroin addiction going through law school Mm -hmm. and thinking their child's doing that and and how do you 
just all of a sudden cut that at the end. Yeah. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Like we, or if it's your kid and what, I mean, how do you cut them off financially when you know your kid could potentially end up homeless? Yeah. And it's, and it's a hard subject. Cause like I, I have three boys and I would do anything for them. And it's so, so easy. And I feel like it's such a wrong way that people do approach it of, of giving this expertise advice of how to parent or, or this is, this is what you need to do to fix the solution. And I feel like it's such a, it's so easy for people to do that. And, and I get caught in it. I do it all the time with my own parents of telling them how to do something or say something to like their own siblings or my own siblings and just kind of spit it out and say, this is, this will work. I promise I'm an expert and (laughs) I'm an expert at nothing, (laughs) but it's really different when you actually have your own children. Like I, I, I would do anything for them. Mm -hmm. And I've had this conversation with my wife. What do you, what do we do? You know, how do we prevent this? You know, because you, you can't do what you were saying of being like this hovering parent because if you do that, the child, one, is going to go the wrong direction and two, they're never going to be want to, they're never going to want to be around you and bring their friends to your house. Oh, yeah. And I was fortunate that my parents were very open-minded. My mom and dad, very open-minded. If I came home drunk or something, they would probably sit me down and have a little chat and say, Hey, you know, let's talk about this and let's talk about it in the morning when you're sober and not be throwing shit at me or kicking me out of the house and whatever. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so I would bring my friends to my house. I would do that type of thing. And I, and, and that type of cultivation, I think it's super healthy to be able to be aware our children are going to make mistakes. What are we going to do at that point? Mm. How do we step in? And I, I, feel like when talking with my wife about this and giving our children the reasonings and the why behind it and asking questions and letting them walk the rope themselves, it really helps us to kind of cut off that enabling tool of saying, you know, Hey dad, I really want to go to a sleepover at my friend's house. Okay. Well, what's going to happen at the sleepover? Mm. What do you guys want to do? What are you, what are you going to do? What time do you think you're going to go to bed? And just like asking kind of like, questions because it's harder to go this road but having them coming up with the answers well we're just gonna watch a movie and you know cook up some popcorn and just hang out okay well that's cool i trust you Mm. i trust you you know and hopefully hopefully i don't hear from the cops or something (laughs) because i was a kid too at one point and then and then letting them live in it you know because at that point if you teach that child to be that way they go to the party and they become that person that will stand up for themselves because they came up with that idea themselves. Mm. Do you know what I'm saying? Like it's, they, they'll be the stronger role model to the people. That's how I really fully, fully believe that that's, that's what will happen. I think, I, I think you will be that example saying, you know, I, I don't, I don't really don't know if I want to have a sleepover. I don't want to get in trouble. I don't want to, I don't want to lose the respect that my dad has for me now. And I, I, I feel like if you have that can bring that trust and, because my parents had that with me. At 16 years old, I was towing the ski boat down to the lake with the family trip. You know, I just loved doing it. Loved mm-hmm. my, my dad's like, he's a better driver than I am, so I'll just <laughs> let him do it. A lot of parents don't let their kids do that, but having that confidence behind him saying, yeah, he can do it. He can do a better job than I can. And just kind of living by that. But I, it's hard. You know, I, I feel like there's these little tools out there to kind of prevent the enabling to become so bad that you can't pull it back. Absolutely. 
And then when you do pull back, immediately, and this is something to expect, especially if you're listening and you are planning on pulling back on whatever enabling you may be um, engaging in, you're going to be seen as the bad guy. Right. That person is going to see you as a a mean, you know, angry, whatever it may be, you're going to be viewed as the bad guy. If my mom would have cut me off, of finances, I'd have been like, how the fuck do you not love me? Yeah. Like, come on. <laughs> yeah. How do you You're not... You're in the bathroom punching yeah. yourself trying to make yourself <laughs> yeah. cry. Exactly. How do you come not on, love mom. me? I, and, um, and, or if my, if my parents had, had, well, actually they did. They, they, they told me, you're, you can stay at our house for a few more weeks, but then we, we can't have you around if you don't go to treatment. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they gave me they gave me a way out and they gave me just enough time to get myself together, but they didn't leave me. They didn't say, Oh yeah, just come stay back at our house. Yeah. That's fine. You know, come stay with us. For one, I would never have stayed with my parents. <laughs> my old man and I, I mean, we would just sit and butt heads constantly. So there was no way I was going to do that anyway, but they didn't give me, they didn't even give me the opportunity. And once I got out of treatment and we addressed all of these things, they set these boundaries, these these anti-enabling boundaries of, I'm not giving you, we're not going to be giving you cash mm-hmm. for anything. There's going to be no bank transfers. We're changing our bank passwords. We are, we're not going to let you drink and use in our house. We're not going to let you. And they laid out all these laws or kind of guidelines. And that was something that a lot of my early recovery was based off of. I, what, I, I wouldn't ask for money because I knew what my parents would initially think. Mm-hmm. And so, so not only did they set up these these kind of guidelines, um, I guess these boundaries. Yeah, they're, they're boundaries. Yeah, yeah. They set up these boundaries, um, not only to protect them to, to to protect me, but to protect themselves as well. Mm-hmm. And and that really helped. Just being vocal about it and saying this is what's going to happen. If if you're doing this, this, and this, I need to do this, this, and this. I, I'm in this situation. Um, and I cannot enable you right, into doing these things. But um, and being vocal about it is another really good way of, of staying on level with each other. Right, but, and, but holding those boundaries strong and true and being real with it, saying, hey, let's... And it's harder that way. It's like the awkward thing, like, hey, how was rehab? You know, because that was a real thing with my wife and I. Like, we came, I came home and I, would, I sat down with her in the kitchen and... And we kind of talked about it. We're like, let's, let's, uh, let's do the boundary thing. And we did it. And my wife came up with some really simple boundaries of saying, if you drink, you know, what do you do at that point? Do you, do you come back to me and say, you know, it's not a big deal. It was just one beer. Don't worry about it. That's the negative approach. The right approach of I did drink, I relapsed here. We need to fix the solution and coming up with ideas, you know, to know, notice of which, where I was with it. Absolutely. And, and I, I feel like the boundaries do help and, it, and it, they really do uh, set the standard. You know, I came up with my own boundaries for my own, for myself too, uh, that, I, that I came up with in addition at IOP as well of what I, the expectations I want out of it, what I, what I wanted to gain from it and, and noticing those areas where I was going to, you know, could relapse. So I don't know. Boundaries are tough though. They're really tough. And, and like what you said, if, you set, if, if we set boundaries, we've got to stick with them. Yeah. That's, that, that goes with kids. That goes with dogs. That goes with anybody, anything, really. 
when it comes down to behaviors, we have to stick with them. And, and setting them correctly is also another thing. Um, when I set all of the boundaries that I did, because I, I left treatment back into my parents' house. Mm-hmm. So we had, I mean, I had all of these like, contingency plans and everything was <clears throat> like a map if this happened and that was that I was going to do this and if that happened and this yeah. and and they had their own kind of um because family involvement family involvement in early recovery is huge um and they had their own kind of if I do this this is the steps they're going to take um but we had to they, they had to stick with them yeah and one of the boundaries so like one of the boundaries that my mom set was if you're going to just disappear at night um i have as your mother a right to know like where you are mm-hmm. and so i am gonna set this boundary of if you're gonna disappear at night whatever whatever i'm not gonna i'm not gonna come chasing you just send me a text message me telling me where you are mm-hmm. and one night i didn't do that and i she was pretty pissed yeah and then and it was be, and she held that boundary she said i'm not gonna do this like i i need to hold you to this boundary and it keeps this level. It kept us with this level of communication. It helped keep our relationship solid, and it helped ease my mom's mind on where I was, which I was out. I don't remember what I was doing. It was some. <laughs> it was some AA function thing. Um, Were you mad about it though? Like at the beginning, like, initially, did you feel like you lost like your freedom or your, you know, whatever your my agency? dignity? Yeah, almost. Dignity. Initially, I did. Initially, and and this goes for a lot of people. When, when you have someone who is kind of, a, I guess, an authoritative, authoritative figure that's mm-hmm. sitting above you, and you've had all of this autonomy to go play, and now there's a leash on you almost, right? And you have to answer to this authoritative figure. It, 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 it almost, it does, it hurts your dignity. Well, it cripples you. It, yeah. feels, it feels like you've lost, it's a hard line to follow because you feel like you've lost the trust but you're trying to gain the trust back but you're like is it ever going to be normal yeah, again exactly and the question that i have to not really the question the statement that i have to run through my head and this was taught to me because i had that same concern um when i was in treatment and then of course it happened was what do i do in um when i get overprotective or what mm-hmm. happens when somebody holds this boundary toward me or what happens and, and I have to say to myself, this is what I have caused. Mm-hmm. My using, my drinking, my behaviors led to this person acting this way towards me. So that person should have, so for example, like my wife says, if when I came, she says, if you ever come home and I feel like I have like a feeling that something is not right, how are you going to react if I like, call you on it. I have a suspicion that you're doing this. How do you react? And my using drinking way would be fight. Freak the yeah. fuck What out. are you talking about? <laughs> no, I haven't been doing that. Or you're the one who's crazy. But, and there has been a few times since I've been uh, out of rehab the last nine months where there's been a few times where I've been like, yeah, you know, my stomach just really hurts. And she just was like, does it hurt? Tell me, <laughs> you know, t- tell me about it. And like, and I would look at her and I said I would say I totally understand you have every right to think they what you're do. doing and I respect that and if you have any questions for me if if you want to look through my car if you want to look through my anywhere you know all my old hiding spots Absolutely. You know, if you have any fear or if you want to go through the trash even 
I completely understand why you'd want to do that. It's a trauma response because mm-hmm. it goes back to that denial thing. We didn't just hurt ourselves. We hurt everyone around us. Right. And so the people that are around us, if they continue to be around us, they will engage in these trauma responses, which would be, oh, you came home with a stomach ache. Oh my God, he might actually be drinking again. Right. Oh my God. I And we as addicts and as alcoholics and whatever else, you know, we deem ourselves as kind of have to owe it to them yeah. to, to say, especially if they've chosen to remain in our lives to say, I respect that. I get, cause this is what I caused. This is what I had done. This is what not. And for those people who like addiction is a disease, this is what my disease did yeah. to this relationship. And so I need to honor that person, my, my loved ones, um, wishes to help them feel better because I spent so many years just mentally breaking them Mm -hmm. that I I need to be here to help mentally kind of ease their concerns so that they can help heal as well. And I, I feel like on the other end of it, the other end of the stick, I chose to do this because I was, I'm very close with my mom. And after I got out of rehab, she's asked me a couple of questions. She says, you know, there was a few times I noticed that you weren't okay. There were, I smelled alcohol on you, but I didn't, I didn't have enough courage to like address it because it wasn't in normal times of the day where it wasn't like you were having a beer at dinner. It was like you smelled drunk at noon. Um, but after I got out of rehab, I actually t- pulled my mom aside. She says, well, what can I help you with after, out, out of rehab? And I said, mom, just be here for me. You and dad, you know, the family, let's just be together as a family. And we've always been a close unit. And I said, if you have suspicion with anything ever with me, please address it to me and i if it's anything if you think something is wrong with me just tell me i'm not going to be offended it needs to go that way and i feel like it needs to be in that healthy pattern to doing that you know because my sis my old, older sister when we were all up in park city at a, a family retreat when my sister told my mom over that weekend she's like yeah michael smelled i could smell it on him and i was like why didn't anybody ever tell me about this you know like why don't you bring me to the party huh? everyone's just talking shit about my back like you were already at the party right? yeah no, i was already there i was already like just floating along in the jacuzzi by myself <laughs> drinking margaritas um but i felt like that was the healthier approach and it has worked my mom has been a few times of said hey like i just noticed are you okay and obviously if i snapped her i'd be like what do you mean if i'm okay obviously there's a red flag a hundred percent you know yeah, when somebody when somebody gets like highly aggressive, um, anyone anyone who who is approached with like sheer or anyone who reacts with sheer aggression, usually I'm not gonna say all of the time. I mean, maybe this person's having a really bad day. I don't know. <laughs> but what I can say, just from the experience that I've had, especially working with people in early recovery, a, a, a reaction like that usually is from guilt. Yeah. Some type of guilt, which means that person is is doing something that they feel like they probably shouldn't be doing. Well, that and they're like, if you think about it, in reality, like they're sharp, they're, their knife isn't that sharp anymore of how their old patterns of denial and guilt and everything was. So they're like, they're a little rusty with it. So they get yeah. called on it. They're like, whoa, Yeah, that's a good point too. <laughs> I didn't think about that until now, but like, I was like, yeah, that's probably along the lines with that. Um, I, I do have a kind of, uh, you know, with this enabling story as well of kind of feeling trapped in my own home. I, a couple of days after rehab, I went to an AA meeting and I met up with some buddies after AA. We were chatting out in the parking lot. My wife kept calling me on the phone 
I kept like declining, declining because I was excited to see some people I just went to rehab with there. And I got home and she was just like snapped at me. I can't believe you didn't ask your phone. Da, 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 da. And I was just, then I started to trigger and fight back at her. Like I was at an AA meeting. <laughs> how dare yeah, how you? How dare you accuse me? me. Yep. <laughs> and I was like, I'm the man of the house. But like I, I started feeling that because I didn't feel it for a while because I was in rehab. And then all of a sudden I'm out three days and boom, you know, AA trying to get some, um, some goodness at the very end of the week. And it was, interesting but I, I caught myself because I started to do the old pattern of behavior just like attack get her you know she's the one who's wrong and I you know it's it's interesting to transform that it takes time and that's like my only encouragement recognition to people that are struggling with this is that you really have to give it time and trust it and be honest with yourself and be humble and like we were talking about listening so. Absolutely. And I think that's a really, a really good spot to end on. Because wow. um, we, we've hit an hour, so yeah, I think, I, I think I've also good. got written down, um, if, you, if you feel like you're enabling people or, or a loved one, I also have a list of how to, kind of how to address and stop enabling that we can also throw up on Instagram yeah. as well. And um, our Instagram is the same as our podcast. It's Addicts in Recovery. It's the same picture. You can see it on there. So we're starting to get some followers flying in. It's kind of fun to we're see people. We're almost to from, 100. I know. It's weird. There's people from like Quebec that were commenting on it. and Wow. Yeah. There's some people That's from awesome. California and all over the place. So it's good to see uh, that the sober community is alive out there in social media and it's healthy. Like I was telling Zach in the kitchen before we started this, I said, it's different. Some people were like, I can't believe you're wearing that outfit with that. It's people doesn't matter how dumb it looks in the sober community everyone's like giving the encouragement like we we need some help out there you know this is a real big issue that we're trying to hack away one day at a time (laughs) (laughs) yeah it is and a lot of people a lot more people than not are are actually suffering from it um so anyway we'll uh I don't know what our next topic is next week, but we'll figure yeah, we'll it out. Yeah, we'll something. I think we're, we're going to invite somebody on. We've got some ideas. We've got some, some friends so. that are in the sober <laughs> community that we want to talk and bring them on. And, and uh, we're, we're excited to do this on a weekly basis. So if you're tuned in and you enjoyed it, throw us some feedback as well. If there's anything that clearly, yeah. clearly I said I don't know way too many times. <laughs> yeah, throw us feedback. Instagram, <laughs> Instagram is a great way. Direct message. Um, you could also, I think that's really our only social media platform right now. (laughs) Hit us up on Instagram. We've got a page. Yeah. Hit the gram. So, um, and then we'll catch you next week guys. Okay. Later.